Hi and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I used to be a Presbyterian and then Pentecostal preacher. I converted to Catholicism after reading the Bible and church history afresh. I'm talking today about Matthew chapter 16 verses 18 and 19. You are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. That was what Jesus said to Peter. Peter professed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the first person to do so, the first Christian. And in most of scripture, he is mentioned first among the disciples. He even went with Jesus up to the transfiguration Peter, James and John, Jesus' three closest disciples. James was his cousin. Peter was the first pope. And John was the man who looked after his mother after he died on the cross. But getting back to Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. I also tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, or death, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the Greek... Jesus is addressing Peter. His name was Simon and he renamed him Peter. Peter, the Greek is Petros and where he says on this rock the word is Petra. Petra means rock but the name given to Peter is Petros. Why is there a difference? And the difference is because Petra is a feminine word. And Jesus wanted to name Peter Rock. He wouldn't give him a woman's name, a feminine name, so he simply masculinized it as Petros. And Petra and Petros are synonyms for large rock. If he'd wanted to say small rock or pebble, the Greek word is lithos, and it is not used here. And furthermore, Jesus is talking about something very significant and glorious for Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and I will give you he's addressing Peter he's not addressing all of the disciples he's addressing Peter I will give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven now here's the thing is in Aramaic the word for rock is Kephas and that means large boulder 
And Jesus and his disciples were speaking in Aramaic, even though it was translated into Greek in Matthew's Gospel. Okay, so how do we know that Kephas is the Aramaic word? What if it was something else? How do we know that? And the answer is because Peter is called Kephas. That's the name given for Peter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 4 and 5. Paul the Apostle writes from 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read from verse 3. In the first place I have passed on to you what I myself received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And there you have it. That's what Peter is called, Cephas. So we know the Aramaic means large rock. But what was Jesus getting at when he talked about this? And the answer is he's prefiguring someone else in the Bible. In the Old Testament, a man called Eliakim. Eliakim was a man who was not the king, but he was under the authority of the king, like a prime minister. He was someone with great authority, like Joseph had in Genesis, or Daniel had. And it's spoken about in Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 to 25. It says, On that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and bind your sash around him and hand over to him your authority. He will be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Upon his shoulder I will place the key of the house of David. What he opens no one will shut. What he shuts no one will open. I will fasten him like a peg in a sure spot. And he will be a seat of honour for the house of his father. Upon him will hang all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and descendants, all the little vessels from bowls to jars. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg fastened in a sure spot will give way. It will be cut down and will fall, and the load hanging on it will be destroyed, for the Lord has spoken." So there is one significant difference, however, with Eliakim. His dynasty was not going to last for all time. It was going to come to an end because Eliakim lived in the days of the Old Testament. But now, in the days of the New Testament, there's one major difference. Jesus uses the language of Isaiah 22 and he applies it to Peter, but the difference is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Peter, the first Christian and the first Pope, 
was not taking the place of Jesus, who is the king. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. But in Isaiah chapter 22, Eliakim was not going to replace the king, but he was nevertheless endowed with great authority from the king, and he was called a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. So they called the holder of the keys, Eliakim, Father. How are you, Father? What are your commands, Father? That's what they called him. And he was given a sash and robes of great glory. So those who criticise the Pope for wearing fancy robes, it's here in Scripture. And notice there's no mention that the king somehow loses his glory because there's a holder of the keys who is dressed with great honour. So the office of the Pope is based upon this. And he would have a seat of honour for the house of his father. So it was not the throne of God, but he was still given a seat of honour. And the Pope has a seat of honour. It's not the throne of God. It's not taking the place of God or of Jesus as the King. And so, as Catholics, we say Christus Rex, Christ the King. And Christ is our King. So who's the Pope then? Well, he's not the King. He's the holder of the keys. He's the man who has been endowed with that great respect an authority. Out of the first four popes, three of them, the first, second and fourth, are mentioned in scripture. First there was Peter, then there was Linus, his successor. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 21. He was succeeded by Anacletus who's not mentioned in scripture. And then the fourth was Clement, who's mentioned in Philippians chapter 4 verse 3. Some people may ask, well, why wasn't uh, Paul the Apostle his successor? Surely he was more worthy. The answer is because Paul the Apostle was Peter's right-hand man, and he was martyred at the same time as Peter. Peter was crucified upside down and... Paul the Apostle was executed by beheading because he was a Roman citizen. And some people have pointed out that Paul rebuked Peter and called him to account in Galatians chapter 2. And this is absolutely correct. But see, popes do not claim to be perfect. They listen to those under them and they listen to exhortation and correction. But Peter, who was the first Pope, was a very flawed individual. Now I say this because Protestants will point out all these different Popes. Most of them were holy, pious men of God, but a few of them were bad. And when I say bad, a few of them were very evil. A few of them were not even true Christians, but none of them, none of the bad popes were able to subvert or change any doctrine of the church. 
And Jesus' promise remained true. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter, in fact, was a pretty lousy pope in many ways. He was a guy who was always seemed to be blundering and uh, putting his foot in it. And when Jesus was arrested, he ran away like a coward. He then denied Jesus three times. And when Jesus was arrested, he rushed up and chopped a man's ear off. And Jesus put the man's ear back on and said, Those who live by the sword die by the sword. He was a far from perfect individual. But see, we Catholics do not claim that our popes are infallible. We claim rather that when they sit in Peter's seat, they are capable of making infallible statements of church doctrine. It's very rarely done by popes. But Peter did in fact, as we've just said, he was a very flawed individual, yet he could still write infallible church doctrines and documents. 1 Peter and 2 Peter, those two letters, they were written by him. Every Protestant regards those books as the word of God, as do we Catholics. So we see that they were capable of that. And I also want to address not just Protestants, but also Eastern Orthodox Christians. I have a lot of respect for these people. And they agree with us on most doctrines, but a real sticking point where they disagree is the primacy of Peter. That is, they will not submit to the authority of the Pope in Rome. Well, what did the early church believe about Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19? So, I will quote this, and I hope and pray that any Eastern Orthodox and Protestants listening to this will prayerfully consider the claims made by Catholicism. Saint Clement, who I've said was the fourth Pope, Saint Clement of Rome, in his letters to the letter to the Corinthians, written in 98 AD, he writes, The Church of God which sojourns in Rome, to the Church of God which sojourns in Corinth, owing to the sudden and repeated calamities and misfortunes which have befallen us, we must acknowledge that we have been somewhat tardy in turning our attention to the matters in dispute among them. In other words, Rome had authority over Corinth. The church in Rome had authority over the church in Corinth and dictated to them their disputes. Irenaeus of Lyons in his Against Heresies, Volume 3, Chapter 3, Verse 2, and this is about 180 AD. By pointing out here the successions of the bishops of the greatest and most ancient church known to all, founded and organised at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, 
that church which has the tradition and the faith which comes down to us after having been announced to men by the apostles. For with this church, because of its superior origin, all churches must agree. That is, all the faithful in the whole world. And it is in her that the faithful everywhere have maintained the apostolic tradition. Tertullian, who lived about 200 AD, in his book The Demurra Against the Heretics, 22, was anything hidden from Peter, who was called the Rock, whereon the church was to be built, who obtained the keys of the kingdom of heaven and the power of loosing and binding in heaven and on earth. And St. Cyprian of Carthage, in his letter to all people, 43, verse 5, in 251 AD, he says, There is one God and one Christ and one church and one chair founded on Peter by the word of the Lord. It is not possible to set up another altar or for there to be another priesthood besides that one altar and that one priesthood. Whoever has gathered elsewhere is scattering. And Pope St. Julius I, in his Acknowledging Your Letter, which is mentioned in St. Athanasius's Apology Against the Arians 35. And this is in 341 AD. And above all, why was nothing written to us about the Church of the Alexandrians? Are you ignorant that the custom has been to write first to us, that is, those in Rome, and then for a just decision to be passed from this place, that is, from Rome. And Jerome, in his letter to Pope Damasus, chapter 15, verse 2, this is around 374 to 379 AD. Jerome writes, I speak with the successor of the fisherman and the disciple of the cross, that's Peter, Though I acknowledge none as first except Christ, I am joined in communion with your holiness, that is to say, in communion with the chair of Peter. I know that it is upon that rock that the church has been built. Whoever eats the lamb outside this house is profane. And St. Augustine of Hippo, many Calvinists like to claim he was one of theirs. Well, let's see. In Augustine's Hymn Against the Donatists, 18, in 393 AD. Run through the list of those priests who have occupied the see of Peter himself. And in that list of fathers, see who succeeded to whom. This is the rock which the proud gates of hell do not overcome. And these citations are given in Robert Haddad's Defend the Faith, pages 155 to 156. It's published by Perusia Media. And this is the book that converted me to Catholicism. 
So if you're in the Eastern Orthodox Church or a Protestant Church, just know that for the first few centuries, the early Church regarded Rome as the spiritual capital of Christianity. And they were in full submission to the Pope of Rome. I argued once with an independent Baptist and he was trying to tell me that all of the early Christian churches were independent of each other. Not only is this utterly laughable and amusing, but if that were the case, they would have gone off into thousands of different denominations and heresies. And it was only by having a absolute structure of the Pope that they were able to get rid of heresy and keep the church unified. And whenever there were divisions in the church, it was because the Pope hadn't yet made a decision. And when the Pope did make a decision, the disputes came to an end. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And if you do not follow the true church, I pray that God will soften your heart.